0: Hey, this is Mike. Thank you for downloading or streaming the Obsessive You podcast. The bonus episode you're about to listen to is about the Netflix original show House of Cards. I'm not caught up with this show, so I sat out for this episode, but Matt and Tiny were joined by our friend Greg Lenz from the We Are Libertarians podcast. You can contact him on Twitter at GTLenz. That's G-T-L-E-N-Z. Just a heads up, this episode of the podcast is spoilerific. They talk about things from both seasons of the show, so if you're like me and aren't House of Cards savvy, go watch the show and then come back. I also need to mention obsessivebooknerd.com, which is our sister website for book reviews and commentary on the evolving world of reading. Also, Tiny has headed up the secular perspective where the boys and guests share healthy discussion and debate about the state of religion and secularism in the world today. Definitely check both of those things out and send any questions, comments, complaints, ideas, or praise our way. Please, we love hearing from you. You can email us at ovpodcasts at gmail.com or find Matt on Twitter at obsessiveviewer, or Tiny on Twitter at Obsessive Tiny. You can find me on Twitter at I am Mike White. Also, check out our Facebook page or vote for us on podcastland.com to vote for us for podcasting. Sorry I couldn't be here to talk with you guys about this episode. Hope you enjoy it anyway. See ya. Until
1: I killed the children. <laughs>
2: I know <laughs> I'm gonna start the episode just right then so <laughs> no one knows that's what I'm gonna do uh welcome to a bonus episode of the obsessive viewer podcast uh as you heard from the intro Mike is absent for this episode because this is an episode devoted to house of cards and unfortunately he actually has a life and <laughs> is too busy to actually watch the show Boo. uh yeah so it's just me and tiny joined by our friend Greg who you may remember if you're a long-time listener from our first ever episode uh Greg how's it going buddy
1: Good. Thanks for uh, having me back on, Matt.
2: Yeah, I
1: appreciate it. You know, it was only like five years. <laughs> I must have done a real good job guest
3: hosting, you prick. <laughs> yeah, Greg's kind of like <laughs> our creator.
2: He kind of is. He's he's absent forever. But he was there to create us, and now he's back for...
3: He, he, lured, he lured us to his house one day. Yes, I did. <laughs> we came in, and there was podcasting equipment. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that was our first episode. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then, I think I made the joke, like, this is my first and last obsessive viewer. <laughs> and sure enough, it was. <laughs> but luckily, I only I get a bonus episode, so I'm not sure this counts, but it kind of counts. Good it's enough.
2: still canon, so... Yeah, yeah. true, true. <laughs> well, how are you guys? i'm delightful doing well we're we're recording live for us um <laughs> from the uh from irvington indiana uh and your your office for for work here yeah um and it's a good it's it's different from what we usually do yeah So it's it's but it's good i love it it's a nice space yeah it's an it's old school house nice yeah old school house Oh yeah.
3: Yep. Literally, so we're not cool. joking. It's an old school yeah, house. Exactly. Yeah.
1: It's a converted schoolhouse, <laughs> and we still keep the children's bones out on the playground. Yes,
2: that's that was the just the crinkling while we walked through the parking lot was just really uh, interesting. Well, I mean, I fed them in February. That's good enough. <laughs> yeah. 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 What yeah. do they want? I know. <laughs> Ugh. Yeah. They should be thanking you for that. Exactly. Um.
1: <laughs> now, are you guys technically professional podcasters now? Because you guys have all the equipment, uh, you have a huge listener base. Yes,
2: yes, yes. You have business cards. We do. Yes, we do. Um, you know,
3: Matt. Yeah. Matt's, Matt's like Conan, and I'm like uh, Andy Richter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And what would that make Mike, the band leader? Sure. Who's who's? He's who not here. So yeah, what was the, the little internet. Mexican midget on Conan? <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. I don't watch the show. I'm not sure.
2: Mike is the masturbating bear. Aha. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, so this episode, we've been rambling for oh, only been a few minutes. <laughs> um, uh, no, this episode is devoted to the Netflix original series, House of Cards, which just, well, in February, it premiered uh, the second season um, on Netflix, exclusively on Netflix, of course, and it uh, all episodes were available at one time, and we finally all gotten to watch all of them, and we're finally uh, ready to podcast about it and uh, if you're a fan of the show and this isn't enough for you <laughs> I recommend checking out op- at obsessiveviewer.com for all of your episode by episode review needs which I ep- I reviewed every episode which was such a daunting task for me Yes, because it's like I said in a previous episode of the podcast it's not a show that you want to do one episode at a time it's specifically designed to be binge watched which mm-hmm. is Kind of a big draw of Netflix original programming.
1: Is it? It's addictive, isn't it? I mean, oh, it is. It really is.
3: Oh my gosh! And see, that's why. Like, I not to brag, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I was ready. I was ready to record this episode like two months ago. Yeah, uh, I binged the crap out of it. I watched all twelve episodes, thirteen episodes, thirteen. all thirteen in like yeah. four or five days.
2: Yeah.
1: I believe. I mean, it's that good. Oh yeah,
2: Yeah. Uh, interesting statistic. Two percent of all U.S. Netflix users on like broadband or whatever uh, binge watched the entire the entire second season in the opening weekend. So that's two percent of like millions and millions and millions of people.
1: That's insane. Yeah, I think that sounds like a great idea for season three. With us, binge watch. We watch it all yes together and then record and then record or we do live commentary while we're watching
2: i like that i like that a lot actually
1: like matt do you see kate mara's freckle on her left breast (laughs) (laughs) pause that i'm gonna
2: need some time (laughs) well uh we'll go ahead and get into it because we're going to spoil the entire season the two seasons so far obviously so if you haven't watched it and for some reason you're listening to this episode uh go ahead and turn it off and come back when you've watched it because we are about to spoil it if i were to see a spoilers on if i were to see uh kate mara's birthmark or anything like that on her boobs that would be kind of gross i wouldn't uh because she's dead in the show and in several Uh, pieces in several pieces (laughs) true um yeah
1: but did we actually see her die
2: Yeah, we we did. We did. (laughs) Kind of. (laughs) No,
1: pretty expensive. A
2: subway train will do that. Yeah. So much blood. So much blood. (laughs) Uh, So let's let's just get into that. What did you guys think of the premiere episode? That that at least that twist. If uh, you guys want to comment
3: on that, I thought it was a nice episode for the fans because Mm -hmm. it was funny because he waited till the very like last minute of the episode. Before Frank Underwood looks at the camera he's like "You didn't think I forgot about you, did you yeah, it was just such a cool it was a cool little <laughs> a cool little fun thing for the fans because oh, yeah. we've all gotten so accustomed to it, and we love that form at least I love that format, you know breaking the fourth wall I love it, I thought it was fun, yeah I feel like it was um it's got this feel of like a cult show,
1: but it's got mass appeal, yeah, you know what I mean like it's definitely got the show uh, the feel of like uh um something that not everyone watches you know like you're the, you're in the cool crowd if you are the one that watches this show um and then yet it has just mass appeal like my parents both watch it religiously oh, yeah. and love it and yet at the same time I feel like it doesn't appeal to
2: everyone because it is so incredibly dark
3: right it is it can uh, be hard to watch well, oh absolutely
4: yeah,
2: yeah it's uh, and it's another um kind of draw i guess of the current climate of television where it's anti-hero based and it's very it's very dark um and it's I I mentioned this in my review of the first season. Um, it's it's Shakespearean a little bit, and it's and it's kind of, I mean, the way that it breaks the fourth wall into and little soliloquies like that and stuff. It kind of has a Shakespearean tone, like kind of a, and especially after this season, I kind of feel like it's going to lead to a kind of like a, it's I don't know. I'm getting ahead of myself, but I feel like the tone coming up i'm hoping that it'll be more downfall based so oh yeah we'll talk about that when we get into it mm-hmm. um but that first i kind of got spoiled on the first episode oh yeah dang. i because i subscribed to the i think it was I, I think it was the house of cards subreddit or it might have been just uh television subreddit or something and i just saw like something like oh they got to do this just to uh just to as a slap in the face toss or something like that. So I clicked it and it was a picked a screenshot of um Kate Morrow's pictures that he'd sent back to uh it was either to Janine or to um The boyfriend. The, the boyfriend. Wow, what was his name? I can't remember. The actor's name is Sebastian something. But anyway, uh that guy. Um and it was just it was like I saw it and I was like, wait, why how would that be oh no, oh <laughs> but Man, just it, it kind of put a tone into the end run of that episode where it's like, okay, she's meaning for a fresh start and all that with him and everything. And I'm just like, oh, she's going to die. Um, <laughs> and, then, and then she's in the subway and I'm like, don't, uh, you suspect this guy of murder and he's a very powerful person who has a lot to lose. Yeah. Don't go into the dark corner where there's a train platform that he can push you onto. Um. Yeah. But just the way that that scene played out was just really, really crazy and really. Yeah. A good mark of the show. So um,
3: Matt got spoiled on it. Greg, did did you see it coming that he was going to do that? I did not. Maybe. I really did not. I thought he was going to threaten it. Okay. I thought
1: that's what he was going to do was threaten
3: it, and when he did it, I was
1: freaking out. I yeah. could not believe it, and I actually was a little bit sad because I feel like she adds so much to the show. Yeah. Yeah. Even though she's despicable, the fact that now her uh, the boyfriend is in jail. Yeah. Constance Zimmer um who's re- Dana Gordon's what I want to call her but that's Montourage. <laughs> um, now that she's not no longer involved very much right. and then with Kate Mara being dead zoe barnes i feel like i hated all the new journalists in the show and that was always something i really liked was that inside looked at the journalism yeah. perspective yeah mm-hmm. you know and then reintroducing the old editor that zoe barnes pretty much got canned i yeah. thought was great I, yeah. I
2: liked that a lot that and i liked how he was objective i guess like he was very careful in his in his prying into um uh man i can't remember the guy's name is it josh no, it was something like... Typical white guy name. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was, it was just something that... Steve, Eric, Jeff, Hank. <laughs> Chad. <laughs> <laughs> Matt. <laughs> no, but it was just such a... I mean, he like he said point blank, like, okay, I got to be objective about this, you know. So when he does that... And like he talks to, I mean, he talks to Frank. It's like, I mean, it's like an explosive scene because he's having a face-to-face sit-down with the vice president, uh, accusing him or questioning him about murdering uh, a reporter. Yeah. The guy's name is Lucas. Luke- Lucas <laughs> Lucas Goodwin. Lucas Goodwin <laughs> could not be a more white person name. <laughs> <laughs> um, but to see it like that, to um um, to see him take an objective stance on it and everything. I mean, he. He didn't really do Lucas any favors. No, but that I think what was really strong for me about that that storyline was that was how quick they were to just completely demolish the entirety of um, Lucas's claims. Because I mean, they just like, oh yeah, well you had naked pictures of Zoe, you were obsessed with her, and like, and even when the feds talked to um, Janine. And they're like they basically force her into just just lying yeah. about him. I was like, this is. It made me feel so uncomfortable because it made me think, like it just made me think, like I wonder how much of this, on some scale, happens in real life. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, and it's just so disturbing to me because I'm just a lowly uh, security guard with a podcast about movies and TV shows. But <laughs> um, if I mean, just I just i don't know i'm so used to an idealized version of government conspiracies or, or good guys winning in the conspiracy right. stuff and all that and i mean this is just not the tone that the show takes at all no um and i love it for it i really do
3: yeah go, go ahead, ahead tiny i say it makes you wonder about all those cons- conspiracy theories you hear about yeah the nsa disappearing somebody right or something which i know greg knows about that kind of stuff yeah yeah I cannot comment. <laughs> <laughs> Greg the Libertarian? Yes. What? <laughs> yep. Oh man. He's friends with the king of all libertarians. Is he yeah.
1: is he ever allowed back on the podcast either? Or are you guys doing like we get you get one We Are Libertarian cast member <laughs> per year? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I feel like uh is it a quota, Matt? Are you using affirmative action? It's.
2: <laughs> it's really just an elaborate ruse by the NSA to get you guys onto a, a, a vulnerable place. So I have to get you guys back occasionally, right. yeah. Whenever they call me in to have to do that because they need intel on you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, I mean, I think though what House of Cards does, and I I can't tell, and I don't think it's this way, but it's become a bit of a sensation and. If you've been if you watch the news lately, it seems to almost set the tone of the news coverage of the distrust of you know American institutions today. Now I think that was already happening, yeah. But now it almost looks like the tails wagging the dog, sort of. You know, like all of a sudden they're covering anonymous and they're covering Mm -hmm. uh, hacking, different things. Yeah, Snowden. All these different things that those would have never been on the West Wing.
3: No, you know what I mean. They'd have
1: never been on. Any other political show, and mm. now it's looked like it looks like the the government is a house of cards. But <laughs> it almost appears like this is leading it there. Mm-hmm. You know, right. this is is just pouring gas on the fire of distrust of institutions.
3: It is, and isn't it beautiful? It is.
1: <laughs> Why do you hate poor people? <laughs>
2: No, there was oh, a – I remember I remember reading that. I think Robin Wright uh, received a an award or some, something. She was speaking at some engagement or something, and she said that – she either said that Hollywood – or she said that um, the government is far more corrupt than Hollywood will ever depict it as or something like that. Wow. I don't remember the actual
3: thing or it may have been the other way around honestly um well it's interesting to hear because she's she lives in hollywood yeah <laughs> she's a hollywood I- well i don't know about icon but pretty close yeah. it's like but what is what does she know about washington really oh i know right. you know i'm what not doubting her i'm just saying you know right so and many of these set. people do show prep and, and roll prep by yeah. almost shadowing for extended periods of but, time. but but the thing is i wonder if she did that mm. yeah, yeah
2: i, I mean know. it could just be publicity to drum up the show yeah it could um be. It what mean, do you it think it about her
3: attractiveness Oh she's still pretty hot. Yeah. She's pretty hot. She Gilt. she
2: snagged uh Gilt. she snagged uh, um Whoa what is the guy's name? She snagged I don't Ben know. Foster. Did she really? Yeah. They're engaged.
3: Good for him and her. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but she does she looks amazing.
1: Yeah. It's oh, yeah. funny, I, I look at her though and like she and my mom actually said this first and it perfectly captured. I think she's incredibly beautiful, but a little bit of a repulses me. <laughs> you know wow. what i mean like really? there's something about her that when i look at her i'm like she is not attractive but for some reason it works huh like i,
3: I see the iron man mask when i look at her <laughs> <laughs> wow oh wow huh. um sp- speaking of her i think she was my favorite part of this season yeah. because i feel like the first season they just squandered that character i really did i mean because she had the the minor storylines with her charity business that she runs and like it was all just uninteresting. They show her running through the cemetery and she has a reaction to this lady who... And it, they never went anywhere with it. It's yeah. just, I, I just really didn't care for her character in that first season. Yeah, But man, they took her off in this second season. Oh, yeah. I mean, she they showed her to be... They They sort of teased at her attitude and her demeanor in the first season mm-hmm. and they just let her off the leash in the oh, second yeah. season to show that she is... Equally as diabolical as Frank Underwood is, yeah. That and f- I, it was so satisfying
2: that first episode where she is going to the pregnant woman who who is leveling those those things about her, oh. and she just uh, I can't remember the specifics of it, but it was so diabolical. She, oh, she, I she, remember. She, she told, said, "I'm willing to let your baby
1: wither inside of you." <laughs> yes, that oh. was an incredible piece of writing. It was by the way.
2: so it was so amazing. And by the way, I did find that article. It said, "Uh, actress Robin Wright, DC." It says, "DC more corrupt than Hollywood," and I'll just read it really. Quick. Quickly, just two paragraphs okay. from it. I'll put it in the show notes of the episode for, for you guys to see. But Robin Wright, the actress who plays Claire Underwood on House of Cards, was in Washington D.C. to re- research her role as a powerful politician's wife, and found uh, quote, "I guess this place is seedier than Hollywood." <laughs> Why? <laughs> Uh, A quote-unquote senior person in the Obama administration told her that journalists uh, actually do have sex with their Capitol Hill sources, just like in her Netflix production, she said in an interview with Capital File magazine. um, DC is more corrupt than Hollywood, she said, The Blaze reported. "Uh, It really is. It's more sleazy than Hollywood, how much infidelity goes on. And, uh, you know, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, Doesn't surprise me, really. Oh, no, not at all. I mean... It's kind of – it's funny to think about um, in that first season, like that that line that Frank has where it's like uh, sex is about power or uh, – sex is about power. Um, it's not even about sex. It's just power something like that. Yeah. Obviously, that's not the actual word, but he, the actual line. But he said something about – to the effect that uh, sex isn't even about sex. It's about power. Um, yeah. And that really – and that kind of is a good segue until later in the season uh what'd you guys think of the three chum um three-chum. the threesome with uh with Meacham the secret <laughs> service agent
1: <Three-chum>. Oh, <laughs> tell me that's not a copyright violation and that you actually own the copyright I don't to I saw people, oh. that's
2: how that's the colloquial way of people put it oh. on on reddit and
3: stuff I was gonna say that's gotta be reddit I know yeah but it uh the Washington DC of the internet <laughs> right <laughs>
2: <laughs> it really is. Uh. Yeah. So, what'd you guys make of that? Because I had some, I had some thoughts about. It, but what did you, what did you guys think, Greg? How about I don't, I don't. You
1: know what's funny is it's, uh, it has a lot of shock value, and mm-hmm. it makes Frank's character much more um, complicated and very, uh, well. I, I – uh. I don't know, Is I com- sometimes wonder, is that a commentary on the way he views everything? In mm. that he has no boundaries. he has no, <laughs> yeah. m- He's not tied to absolute. I mean,
3: anything. Right. And
1: so is it a commentary on that, or t- is it just kind of gratuitous for shock value?
3: So how much does mm. it really add to Frank? That's a good point. And, and like to add on what you said and Matt said about Frank having the attitude that sex is just about power, so it's not about pleasure. So it's like, of course he'd be willing to have sex with a guy because it's not about sex. It's not about pleasure for him. It's about power. And so maybe it does say it just adds to his level of diabolicalness, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. It wasn't, it it wasn't for any, any reason other than having something to hold over Meacham.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Which, yeah, exactly. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I mean,
2: (sighs) see, that's where I kind of have to disagree there. Okay. Um, Meacham, I mean, sure. They were very much in a position where they were going, they're full force. They're taking the presidency, um, which we'll talk about that also, mm-hmm. but they're taking the presidency. So yeah, sure. They need, they need to make sure that this guy is completely on their side, I guess. Um, right. to an extent, but also the, I mean there's that episode in season 1, uh, I think it was like episode 6 where um Frank goes back to his alma mater and he talks to his friend and it's very very I mean it's not even really implied it's basically spelled out that they had a romantic relationship um mm-hmm. of sorts and it's probably the most vulnerable that we've seen Frank in throughout the entire run of the series. Yeah. So it got me kind of thinking this this three chim scene um <laughs> throughout the whole <laughs> Throughout pretty much the second season, at least it's it's uh, shown heavily in the first episode um, that Meacham kind of has this hero worship of of Frank. Yeah, he's kind of like because he gave him the cufflinks, and and he's he's like he's you know he's he's a fan, I guess, because he got him his he got him his uh, job with the Secret Service and all that. Mm-hmm. So. There is part of it that I feel like could be a power grab like okay they want to make sure that he is in their court no matter what because who knows what they're going to, what kind of crap they're going to have to get into uh, when he's the president um <laughs> and then also part of it is that he was so stressed out throughout that entire episode, that entire episode he is, he's struggling with, with the prosecutor uh, answering the prosecutor's questions. Like a big quote from the episode was uh, lying to a president first, first lie to a prosecutor than a president. I feel more exposed than the skin where my ring used to be. Wow. Um, so it's just like, he's very, he's very just dragged through the mud. He's just like, he's, you know, it's kind of just, he's, he's struggling. So how I felt that that was, was that, Like, okay, my sister watched the entire second season and she was waiting for me to get to this moment. And she kept saying, like, there's something big that happens, you need to I tell me as soon as you do as soon as you see it, you'll know what it is. (laughs) I was
3: thinking the the same thing, but I didn't I didn't want to spell it out. (laughs) Right.
2: And then it happened and I was like, Well, I mean that's just you know, Claire just orchestrated that so that he could relieve some stress. And then I, I wasn't really that shocked by it really really yeah um and what it kind of got me wondering is how many times in the series if any have we seen Frank and Claire engage in like a, any type of physical intimacy right um really none I mean maybe a peck on the cheek a handhold something like that it makes me wonder I mean Frank is a is a is a is a uh, politician from the south he has uh, he has had relationships in the past with men, at least one that we know of, is he a closeted homosexual, just blatant, just straight mm. up homosexual? Cause when he had sex with Zoe, it was about power. It wasn't about any kind of sexual gratification. So could it be that he is just a straight up closeted homosexual and, and is keeping that quiet for, um, um, for, for political reasons and that maybe he's so under stress that he needed that release and Claire couldn't provide it for him sexually. So she, get, she, she went to meet him for it. What do you guys think about that?
3: That's an interesting theory. Um, I I don't know if it's necessarily that he's a closeted homosexual. I think it's he's he's turned on by power. Mm-hmm. So like maybe there's not really a, a box you can fit him in his sexuality. Anyways, <laughs> uh, maybe he's just not a sexual being at all. It's like okay. he's just he's just turned on by power, and that's all there is to it. So
1: yeah, I think for him, he found like his counterpart in the female form. You know, yeah. I mean, that, this this season definitely, like, showed that. Mm-hmm. And maybe it is something where it's not even a sexual relationship whatsoever, Yeah, other than it is two people, almost like Bill and Hillary, who have mutually aligned <laughs> interests <laughs> of seeking to rule the world, and they're willing to withgo anything necessary, because together they're unstoppable. It's a
3: partnership. Right.
1: Yeah, it is. Yeah. It really is. But at the same time, they're soulmates, because they just recognize the diabolicalness
3: of each other. <laughs> yeah.
2: You know, yeah. like that uh, yeah. the
3: abortion interview oh man
2: yeah let's let's talk about that oh my god
3: man first i love the way that it was shot yeah because it was like it had a format of like an actual interview that you would see on the news Mm -hmm. but it had the gloss of like a television show Mm -hmm. and then there's like there's no music there's like these dramatic pauses that were just amazing amazing you know use of cadence and performance by these two actors who were doing it i don't even remember who the interviewer was me neither um, but just their their chemistry and Robin Wright, Robin Wright just knocking it out of the park. Oh, yeah. that, I mean,
1: it was yeah. devastating and oh, yeah. like it
3: was such a tipping point
1: for the show too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, was the House of Cards going to collapse? <laughs>
3: yeah. Or and she was able to just be the perfect spin master. Yeah. And another thing about it was Robin Wright was a, she, she Robin Wright was a was playing a character and Claire Underwood was playing a character mm-hmm. because. B- The way that Claire Underwood talks about these multiple abortions she's had uh, off the camera or like behind the scenes as we're watching it, Mm -hmm. it looks like it had almost zero effect on her. Right. Like it it just didn't matter to her. It's like, yeah, I got an abortion. So what? I got three of them. I don't care. But when she's on camera... She, you know, she breaks down yeah. and she's like, this is a huge event from my life. So it's like Robin Wright was like double acting. right <laughs> It's just really, I hate, to, I don't mean to harp on it, but it I was kinda, just amazing.
2: I kind of feel like there's, there's more to the character in, in regards to that as well. Cause there's that point in the first episode of season two, where she's talking about getting the, uh, get, uh, being her fertility tests and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think by the end of it, she just decides not to do it because she knows that they're heading toward, that's when she, I believe she like gave her company away um Mm -hmm. so that she because they're going to focus on taking the presidency pretty much um and there's like that kind of undercurrent throughout her her arc this season where she's kind of i think maybe she might be hurt by it maybe she feels like she missed the boat there's a lot of references to the fact that they don't have kids Mm -hmm. and i kind of wonder if that's and and not to go back to the whole is frank gay um thing but also another point about that is that there's that scene like the episode before that, where they they're in bed and they're talking, and then they're talking about how much more exposed they are, and how they can't have these extramarital affairs that they that they're so accustomed to. I mean, that's where they get their sexual gratification is through through extramarital affairs, like last season or first season with uh, Claire and, and the artist or the photographer. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, whose character I hated? Anyone oh, else? It was such yeah. a drag in the first season, yeah. and this season was just like. I liked how they tied it back. Yeah, but I I'm, I'm won't be heartbroken if he never shows up in, on the show again. Yeah.
1: It was—it was, it was <laughs> t- like the whole show was almost like just casting off their former lives, like getting rid of mm. Freddie. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. getting rid of that guy. You know, being willing to just throw a former lover for years underneath the bus. Yeah. And setting him up to jump in front of the bus and then running back over him by giving him the wrong thing to do. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, it was incredible. Oh, yeah. It was. Oh, yeah. The bot, like, they are just the worst people imaginable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yet you love them.
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, again, it's the whole, <clears throat> this generation of, of television viewers just loves the antihero. And yeah. um, as far as, far as... um. I had something I forgot. Uh, I lost it anyway. Um, just in about Freddie, that episode was just really, it was, a, it was a, it was a, it was a, it was different for, for the show. Cause it was a it kind of focused on Freddie a little more. And we got some interesting backstory into him, kind of see how much he struggles and all that. And then, I mean, it was, it just bummed me out. Cause I mean, that was the, kind of the one authentic kind of professional relationship that, that Frank had. And it was just, it was just like, it was a genuine friendship um and then Frank just, you know, threw it away uh, cuz frankly he ha- But so was so was uh, Freddy. I mean, he
1: was willing to say you're just another customer. Right? Yeah, it's that's true. true. You yeah. know.
3: But see, it felt like it felt like he was just kind of saying that a little bit. Yeah. yeah. I don't know, that's kind of how I felt anyways, but whereas Frank, you know, he doesn't feel anything. <laughs> he's right. everything he's just, he just he looks at every relationship like what can I get out of this? Yeah. Well, how he feels I'm... Edward.
1: What's that? Meet <laughs> <him>. <laughs>
2: He feels Meacham. <laughs> that's what I was gonna say. Was, uh, Good point. That's uh, that's what I was gonna say. Also, that the um, the three Chum. You guys <laughs> said it's like about power having his, uh, having power over Meacham and everything. But I mean, I can just see at some point during what I assume will be the downfall of the Underwoods. Um, copyright. Um, <laughs> I. I can just see like one of those one of those scenes where they show um show like the show like the news footage and, and how they incorporate the news footage into the into the show the way that they do. But I can see like secret service agent comes clean about being seduced into into a, a threesome with the then vice president, and a huge scandal breaking out over it. So to show that they have power over Meacham, it does that, but it also gives him just the ammunition to possibly destroy them.
3: That's true because it doesn't really damage Meecham; it damages right. him.
2: It's like they can spin it. I mean, they can spin it like uh, he was—he was, he got drunk. Uh, the the uh, Claire got him drunk, and Frank came in, and they just started doing it. Yeah. he was lowered his in, inhibitions, all that.
3: So, and plus there was the the scene earlier in the season where Meacham caught him watching porn. <laughs> yeah, but he wasn't. Pleasuring himself to it, he was just watching it. Right, and he just—you can't really, you just can't get a grasp on his sexual identity. It's—it's no. it's really strange.
2: And the porn that he was watching was uh, was uh, male, male, female threesome. Porn. Yeah, <laughs> foreshadowing. Foreshadowing.
1: <laughs> that is remarkable that you recognized it immediately. What title was it?
2: <laughs> uh, huh. uh, I'll tell you off. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you the link. Awesome. <laughs> I wouldn't be an obsessive viewer if I if I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Very true. But, uh, well, I was going to ask you
1: guys something. Is that okay? Oh, yeah. yeah. Go right ahead. What did you think of the relationship and development of Remy Danton and then Jackie, Jackie, Jackie Sharp? Sharp? It was interesting.
2: It was interesting. It ra- I feel like they could have waited like two, two episodes before even introducing it because it dragged quite a bit. It did. Um, I remember for episodes I was like, well – Let's see where they're going with this, but something has to happen. Um, I thought it was an interesting dynamic between the two, especially with Remy working with Tusk and how he had to, uh, kind of, kind of choose, I guess, or, or I don't know. It was, it was okay. Uh, in the grand scheme of the show, it was prime, not my least favorite storyline of the season, but it was, it was kind of down there. Um. Yeah, I far far more um, enjoyed uh, wow Michael Kelly, Stamper, Stamper and Rachel. Yeah. Which we'll oh get to that, also. that was now yeah. <sighs> yeah we'll get to that. What what were your guys' thoughts on um, Remy and Jackie?
3: I I wasn't so so much intrigued with their relationship as I was just the development of Remy, just because mm-hmm. he was he was so ancillary in the first season. Yeah. We just got a little like again a little taste of him, kind of like mm-hmm. the first season was so much setup, just like Jackie did.
4: God.
3: Sorry. <laughs> oh, this is filthy. Every time Greg's on, I know, why, and I,
1: I don't even feel like I'm the one
3: doing it. <laughs> you bring it out of us, sir. No, really, man. You bring it out of I, us. Oh my gosh! <laughs> but uh, I, I loved seeing him again come out of his shell. They, they let him off his leash, and he's mm-hmm. no one is as good at being a bastard as Frank is on the show. But he gets pretty close. You know, he just flat yeah. out betrays Frank. And mm-hmm. well, that's, and I couldn't
1: figure out if they were going to let him win. Because, you know, Mm. if you remember in the very early on in the first season, he's like, Remy chose money over power. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. You know, and I was like, are they going to? And then with Tusk, I almost felt like that the whole undercurrent of Tusk was that battle that he mentioned in one of the very first episodes, money versus power. Right. Oh, wow. Um, That's a good point.
2: Yeah. Which Tusk, the whole like war with Tusk, what did you guys make of that? How did you guys feel about that? Just as a general. I thought it was a little forced
3: cuz really? like it I, honestly just cuz it was so um it was it was so exposition reliant it seemed like they were just explaining a, like cuz doesn't frank like manipulate something to where Tusk loses a bunch of money yeah the, the joint
1: the, venture on the chinese right owns, yeah yeah it
3: was compli- it was it was complicated it and was. it was again it was just a bunch of explaining a huge technical stuff mm-hmm. and we, don't really get, we don't really get to see much with it right. um so i thought it was a little forced but I need to watch it again because, like I said, it's like two months ago before I watched it. So. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Greg? Yeah. Um, the Tusk
1: character, I I didn't love. I found him a huh. little irritating. I liked that Frank had a true adversary, though. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I really enjoyed—an intellectual um, equal. Um, yep. Yeah. And and I tell you though, the the most wasted character in the entire show to me was Garrett Walker. The president. Yeah. yeah. He comes off as like stone and like to me it was like watching ed what evan by would have been president (laughs) you know what i mean just like completely inanimate like that's good like you know and then and frank is so diabolical and such a master manipulator i I, it was really tough for me it really was to watch that that kind of guy was a president because i felt like that could have been an incredible character you could have had someone who is just as wily or, or or a total complete dunce, almost like the former vice president that Frank ousts. Yeah. You know, and have Frank almost. It would have been great for this next season to see Frank be a puppeteer. <laughs> oh,
3: that
2: that's true. Cool. Yeah. I liked the kind of late blooming uh, um, pers- uh, perspective, I guess, that Walker had. Because he kind of. You kind of just see, like, okay, well, Frank isn't manipulating him, Frank is doing his thing. And he's getting close to him, and that's dangerous for him mm-hmm. but and then, like there's that kind of turn, like maybe two, three episodes left in the season where Walker's just like, "You're a bastard, you're doing this to me, and I'm not gonna let it happen. They kind of become at odds with each other, and it's just I appreciated the character for having the um for having that kind of late blooming perceptive nature to him because um, I like I loved that scene between the two uh, a couple episodes before that where um, Walker's just kind of just just going at Frank and then Frank's like uh, if you dismiss me or keep swinging because he talks about how he's a punching bag and he's being yeah. a punching bag. <laughs> that was such a cool scene because the way that spacey plays it is he's like, you can see him just boiling with anger. Like he's ready to just go. Mm -hmm. And then he's like, he's keeping himself contained because he, this is all part of his plan. Um, so he's just like, keep swinging and all that stuff. And I thought like, wow, that's like a really like disrespectful thing to say to the commander in chief. And like, that's (laughs) destroying everything. And then he comes back and he gives them the, (laughs) the punching bag (laughs) as a peace offering. And I was just like,
3: Hilarious. I just
2: I loved it as as a little bit of comic relief there and also just as part of the bigger picture of of Garrett Walker like you're you're right Greg I, I agree that Walker was a little um disappointing I guess in in, in, in the execution of of the character cuz I feel like he could have been he he kind of got wise to Frank's games a little late in the game Mm-hmm. um which spe- spelled doom for him <laughs> as a character yeah. but also could have been more compelling if maybe they let up on the tusk uh uh war i guess um and and focused more on walker and, and uh underwood because tusk was so powerful mm-hmm. yeah. you know he was such
1: an, an incredible stri- you know strategist and it was almost like he all of a
3: sudden president mm-hmm. walker
1: had a different person pulling the strings.
3: Yeah. yeah. And see that's when like you mentioned it would have been interesting to see Underwood as a, a puppeteer for a mm-hmm. season. I think Tusk was already the puppeteer for Walker. Yeah. So maybe was. you know, that was already established. Um but but also I think again talking about President Walker, I think it's he seems like kind of he seems flat because all the other characters on the show are so multidimensional mm. and so larger than life that he just seems like he's nothing. Yeah. Whereas if he was on a different show, you'd be like, oh, he's, he's an interesting character. Right. <laughs> but it's just the context. He just looks small. You didn't yeah. find him a little unbelievable to be a president of the United States? I don't think so because the uh, presidents are boring now. Well. Think about how boring Obama is, <laughs> I don't if know. you remember, yeah. the NSA's listening, guys. Like, you, uh, what I, what I mean by that <laughs> is, kidding. what I mean by that is, you know what they're gonna say. Oh, yeah. you do. That's what yeah. I'm trying to. That's what I'm trying to say. He he was like a he was very vanilla. Mm-hmm. You know.
2: Yeah, but if you remember in the first in the first episode of the entire series, Frank like explains like I got him in the White House, and that's why that's yeah. why he was so spurned by by the snub of not getting the Secretary of State job, uh, that launched this entire vendetta against him. Yeah, but. It's kind of like you know, yeah. Uh, Walker is a little bland and everything because he is a product of Frank's machine, um, Frank's manipulation of the political machine of this of this universe. That's good point. A little close to home. I guess. Do you think
1: his plan may have come off faster than he anticipated? That was something I was wondering. Do you think that might be a, a theme in the next season? That. I, I seriously doubt, now, of course, who who knows, it's a fictional show, but that right. he would anticipate that in, what, two years, he'd be able to be president of the United States yeah. without ever winning an election? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, it's pretty incredible, it vice is, president yeah. and president without ever winning a single election. Yeah. And, <laughs> and like, I almost wonder if that's going to be a storyline where he needed more time to build the political capital in order to get things achieved. Hmm. hmm. Because it happened know. quick, like he just oh, yeah. he got lucky. The public opinion like shattered for President Walker, and he was yeah. able to seize that because uh-huh. it didn't look like his plan was advancing very well, and right. it didn't look like yeah. everything was under control. Yeah,
2: he's a very op- opportunistic. Yeah, uh, and that's that's what character. I was going to say. Yeah, he,
3: he just knows how to he knows how to play any scenario in his favor. Right. I think that's what's what led to it more than anything.
2: In other words, he's a politician.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice
2: no but he's he's uh he's a very manipulative and, and opportunistic like there's that scene where she, where he and he, he and Claire are, I think they're having lunch in his office or something like that or they might be having dinner at home I don't remember but in Claire's like so uh so Walker's a little close to Christina I, I noticed that and then there's kind of like you can see the wheels spinning mm-hmm. and it's just so cool to see that kind of like not much is said about it for the viewers for the viewers benefit or, or for the sake of the viewer and everything, but it's spelled out so beautifully. And it's such a good encompassing scene to show like the nature of their relationship. Like, okay, they can say very little, but know exactly what they're doing. Right. Um,
1: And see, I think she could come back as the downfall.
2: Uh Oh, really? Um, There, there were times this season, I mentioned it on my reviews that she kind of, I mean, the whole, the whole child thing, like she seemed like, she was honestly, she wanted ch- she wanted children, but she's she's forsaken that she's she's abandoned that sacrificed that part of her life for the sake of of power and and all that. And then there's that scene at the end of the first episode when she's after she's overheard, um, the news on the news about Zoe's death. That she and this is after Frank has told her that she that he's taken care of it. Like they don't say anything. He doesn't explain that that she's that he killed her or anything. But she's just kind of sitting there, and there's kind of a quiet moment where she's just like putting on her makeup or something. And she kind of pauses, and there's like this faint look back at at Frank or in the room where Frank is, and then you can kind of see like, what did I get myself into, or 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 what's do I really know the nature of what do I really want to know what's going on or, or whatever? Because I mean, like you guys said, she's a diabolical character, and she's very she's very manipulative. She's she's his counterpart, but mm-hmm. I don't know if she's very wise to the irredeemable nature of his of his rise to power.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I
1: mean, and it's funny, I actually agree with everything you said, but the one I was talking about was Pete Russo's girl. The one oh, that's yeah. the one I think could be the downfall. Oh, because okay. remember when Lucas approached her to talk about <laughs> yeah. Peter's yeah. death. Yeah. And she could Jeez. tell she wanted to, but then she acted like she put it behind her. Yeah. Right. And it's always the one you don't see coming who feels wronged. Yeah. So I'd be like stunned if there's not a scene in the next S- season where she's at that prison talking to
3: Lucas Goodwin. Yeah. Oh, that'd be cool. That would be
2: very cool. Um, I'm really hoping for that because Kristen Conley.
3: Yeah. So hot. She is adorable.
2: Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Cabin in the Woods, if you guys haven't watched it, check it out. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yep. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yep. The guy from, um, oh, gosh, they're making it's Topanga. Huh? Sean from Boy Meets World. No, you're thinking of uh, um, Cabin Fever. Kevin Beaver, yep. uh, and his
2: name is Ryder Strong. Ryder, Strong. Sh- yep. Matt was dirty. Yeah, <laughs> he, he has a quote on his IMDb page that says, "Like, if I ever decide to go into porn, I don't need to change my name." <laughs> 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 I'm like, that's cool. He has a sense of humor. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, so so yeah, I think Christina could could be a part of his downfall, and that's I mean, I guess we can go get into this a little bit, but what do you guys think? Ah, oh, this is a little premature. Um, she said (laughs) Uh. oh if you only knew tiny (laughs) Um, (laughs) no um it kind of makes you wonder the end scene where he's in where he's in the oval office and he has his new ring and he just knocks his hand down uh twice that which i I love that oh man i thought that was a perfect way because the whole lead up to walking into the oval office um, I'm thinking like, okay, this is going to end in like a huge monologue. That's going to like put a bow on the entire season and the first two seasons. And it's going to be just a really great eloquent speech. And then all he did was just, and I was like, that's perfect. It was a he, perfect crescendo. Yeah. He doesn't yeah. have to say anything. It's exactly, he knows it's such, it's a good reflection of our relationship with the main character of the show as yeah. viewers, Cause we know exactly, <laughs> we know it's, yeah. it's so perfect. Uh, I love that they play up this relationship between the characters and, and uh the audience in that way. But it kinda makes me wonder there's no way for him to go up now. So yeah. his whole like, career's
1: been the pursuit of something and now it's there. Exactly. Right.
2: His he's his plan has has done this and now I feel like the house of cards is gonna start falling. <laughs> yeah. So it makes me wonder, what do you guys think? How much how much creative juice is left in the show, because I like they they <laughs> Netflix is so awesome they renewed it for a third season before they even put out the second season, which I thought was just a badass thing to do um and then they did that, and then I'm thinking like oh this I, don't know, I hope this goes on forever and all that, and then at the end, I'm like they could finish this in a season, um, yeah
3: and, and see that's uh, what's Given the title of the show, it's it's a strong analogy, but it's also such a finite analogy. Like, yeah. that, the concept is you pull one card and the whole thing falls over, right? So mm-hmm. if you pull one card in Frank Underwood's House of Cards, it all comes crashing down and then what's left after that. So if they pull that right. card, again, to keep continue with the analogy, mm-hmm. uh, is this the end of the series? Because, I mean, <laughs> what else... Has there What else do they have to tear down? Or how is he going to build something back up? Mm-hmm. It's it's an interesting question. I, I've always, after this season, again, I, I really question the longevity of the show, which is because I'm always of the opinion with television that less is more. Yeah. Because, man, 120, 150 episodes for shows is just way too much. Right. Um. So I, I would have no problem with like four seasons. Yeah. I think it would be fine.
2: I. Yeah. I'll say why I'm not why I want I'm pulling for four seasons as opposed to three. They I know I said that they could end it in three, but I'm pulling for four because thirteen episodes times four seasons that's fifty two episodes, fifty two cards in the deck of cards. Oh. That's my only. Oh, that's, my only thing. that's brilliant. But what do you think about that, what do you Greg? think about it,
1: Greg? Um, see, I, it's it's politics. So there's so much you can do. There's so many storylines yeah. you can adopt. Like yeah. I don't know what we'll take next season, but I would love to see it that he gets primaried by. Because he's never been, he's never run as a president in a presidential primary. Mm -hmm. And he's really not the leader of the party. He kind of finagled his way into it by being below the radar Mm -hmm. and not a prominent individual. And the two I see that could really challenge him and create a huge war are that, uh, is it Duro, the lady he got appointed Secretary of State over Michael Kern? Uh, The one Durant. 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 Secretary Durant, who's on his team, Mm -hmm. but she doesn't strike me as a kind of being stuck in the background type. Yeah. And then Kern comes off as the likable, <laughs> nice guy, mm-hmm. uh, kind of the friendly doof who would be able to put together, unless also as well it could be that whip, Jackie Sharp. Yeah. yeah.
2: I said in, in like her first episode or that first meeting with Frank in the season, in my review I put like I feel like she could be like they're both – she's also kind of a participant in this, this game – um, uh, of politics there that she could be Frank's downfall. <laughs> yeah. Maybe she might go after Frank, um, which would be interesting. But then as the season kind of unfolded, you can kind of see that she's kind of a little naive and a little... She doesn't play it quite like Frank, which is good, but it's also kind of... It could be maybe she doesn't have the chops to actually stomach it
4: mm-hmm.
2: um, and all that. But I mean, there are so many other threads that could unravel. I mean, Gavin's in the wind. Um, Seth Grayson,
1: Seth. love that character. Yeah, yeah.
2: I was kind of curious. He's like
1: the offspring of Claire and Frank. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like he is nasty.
3: Yeah, he yeah. snaked
2: his way into the job. Oh, yeah. that
3: Planned Parenthood scene. Yeah. Oh. oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh. Um. What I think, I think would be kind of cool is if, like this, all this posturing that was going on between the U.S. and China in the, the, towards the end of the season. Um, they kind of blundered it. I think it would be interesting if they started off, like within the first few episodes of the third season, it turns into an actual war. And so then he. that's sort of, I I almost want to see that, but at the same time, I think it would just be a big distraction to, to again, give the show some more longevity. Um, So I I don't know how great it would be, but I think it would be interesting to see Frank having to actually be a commander-in-chief in chief it would be interesting to see it. Um, I'd love to see it with like to stay with the current
1: trends they're seeing right now with Russia.
3: Yeah, a Vladimir Putin type and Frank <laughs> Underwood at a United Nations
1: backroom <laughs> oh, meeting. Wow. Yeah. and it it goes similar to the when he had the uh, teachers union thug. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that would be oh, that man. was so awesome. Oh my gosh, yeah. oh, what a scene! <laughs> um,
2: but there was that kind of leads me to my own not vision but a possibility. I mean, this is a long shot, but the show is about frank's rise his his manipulation his 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 deceit all of everything that basically outlines him as just a despicable character pretty much um i kind of wonder if it's if the show is going to shift to show more of his hubris coming into play instead of maybe maybe not his downfall quite yet but going to the whole thing with um and this is a stretch i don't know how to articulate it but if he does, maybe he'll willingly – maybe he'll set his eyes on – this is going to sound so hackneyed and and lame, but he has risen so quickly to the most powerful position in the world. What if he just goes just completely insane and demands, like, world power? <laughs> like, I mean, I don't know how to, else to explain it other than – I mean, what if his hubris comes into play and that's what causes a war? Mm. that he is so he's so um headstrong in his
3: I like all he knows how to do is, is is advance his own agenda yeah and to he, he like again like greg said he was going he was leading towards one goal mm-hmm. now he has that goal so he doesn't know how to change his power change his ability to wield power into leading yeah. a nation as opposed to getting what he wants right and that leads to a war yeah yeah something like that i could see that playing
2: a big role in in the season um yeah to, seasons to come i would think uh, greg what do you think
1: i don't know he's got as if the storyline is going to stay true to like kind of politics at all i mean for me he's got a real issue of mandate Like in politics, like when someone wins an election like Barack Obama, Mm -hmm. even though he only won by like 52, 53 percent, it felt like a mandate because there was such a change in regime in the makeup of the House, Senate, and the presidency. Frank Underwood I really feel like is going to struggle having any impact, which I think is going to be really difficult because he's not an elected leader. How much can he really accomplish? When he can't say he has the voice of the people, he can't say that he has the support of the people, he's just the wiliest political manipulator that's ever existed. <laughs> and so when he has to tackle an agenda, and actually, this whole season was a lot about compromise and even giving up. Like, they they pushed through Social Security reform, which anyone that watches politics today would know is not possible. No, not at all. And the way he did it was brilliant. You know, I mean, it was incredible. I just felt like, yeah. if they're going to stay true to politics, what I think we're going to see is almost stagnation. Mm. I think that's what we'll see, is stagnation, because I huh. don't know how he can garner the votes. I don't know how he can make his party move to the right and the center. Yeah. But he is more of a Bill Clinton type in that he's a Southern Democrat who's very likable and does right. a lot of compromise. So I, I think it'll be really interesting to see what storylines they pick mm. and what the death of Doug Stamper what that yeah. does to his psycho, psycho, him psychologically. Yes. Let's yeah.
2: transition to that. Let's talk about Doug's arc this entire season because first season I thought that he was a little underutilized. He was just kind of the muscle of, of Frank's machine, and I, I, the actor is fantastic, Michael Kelly. He was in, yeah, he's uh, great. He was in one episode of the Shield or, or a few episodes of the Shield. Yeah. He Played like a serial killer. Man, his. Is ah, he a
3: serial rapist?
2: I want to say... Was uh, he an
3: actual killer? I can't. I can't remember. I think he was the one that... Uh, no, because uh, Clark Craig Clark, Greg. Clark was the, the cuddler rapist. was the cuddler rapist. I think yeah. he was
2: the one that was killing prostitutes. Yeah. And he's the one that got under
3: Dutch's skin. Right. right.
2: In the... Oh, man. It's a great show. Seriously, you guys, <laughs> if you haven't watched The Shield, I've championed it so much in this podcast. Watch it. It's one of my top three favorite shows ever. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, anyway... <laughs> But Michael Kelly, I was so happy to see him have a more, more of a storyline and such a meaty storyline, too, in terms of um, his, his personal journey throughout the season, I guess, where it was so weird and so macabre and so – right? It, it, was, it was just strange, and it was strange in the best way.
1: It, he is an exceptionally creepy individual just yeah. just
2: looking at him yeah oh yeah but yeah did you ever notice
1: how he can just switch on to this incredibly charismatic individual yeah yeah like at yep. the casino or um when he wanted Rachel to get rid of her roommate and like he <laughs> pretended to help that girl home yeah like it it was so like disturbing to watch him yeah. turn into this like captivating seduction like guy and right then be like you then you watch him like he's this weird nerd yeah <laughs> you, you know, like he's this creepy weird nerd yeah.
3: yeah he's like he's he's like a serial killer who like yeah, like, like, like like a yeah. ted bundy type uh-huh. yeah yeah
2: and his not anymore Right. right. <laughs> his his whole role this season where he's kind of has this obsession with Rachel I was so uncomfortable with it I mean I was just as a, as a as a viewer I was like this is so weird and the best way possible and I couldn't really put my finger on what exactly was going on but it wasn't until his AA meeting scene where he talks about he talks about her saying like she's like alcohol, she's like she's like the bottle, and I was like that really puts it into perspective. And they had pretty much, and I love the misdirection, I I, I guess of of the whole season because the writers really really referenced heavily his sobriety, mm-hmm. and they I'm like sitting there thinking like okay when is he when exactly is he going to crack get wasted
4: mm-hmm.
2: go murder rachel and her and her lover and then have that be the arc for season three is him covering up and all that like i thought like i thought that's exactly what they're going for and i was like i was i would be perfectly fine with that but yeah, then yeah. they turn that on they just they smacked that in the face with a rock
3: <laughs> um, <laughs> They bludgeoned it and then <laughs> stole its car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it, it was, it was, it was great how they how they went with that addiction angle because it was yeah. like he he just has an addictive personality. He just happened to choose alcohol before. But now it's it's a Rachel that he's addicted to, and yeah. and he just ended up binging on his addiction to yeah. her, and not in any physical way, obviously. Right. Uh, poor him. But much to uh, his chagrin. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it, it, that's that was the that was a pretty good representation of an ad- an addiction, yeah, and how yeah. What it can lead to yeah
1: yep. yeah absolutely. What about um the whole Fang story? Oh, yeah. that was weird. Was it not? Yeah. Very, very peculiar. And then Frank looking back at his history and it almost looking like it moved him, mm-hmm. which I didn't know if they'd reference again, you know, when he, the Civil War um, Confederate oh, soldier. Oh, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. But then, at, and then, when everything looks like it could either go, he could go to jail forever, mm-hmm. or, you know, he could end up becoming president, he re- goes back to his roots, getting yeah. you know, out the Underwood typewriter and referencing yeah. his dad. And
2: Oh, man, that scene... Oh man, the the scene where he's writing the letter to to Walker. What, probably I would go I'll go on record and say it, my favorite scene of the entire series wow. so far. Just the way that it was filmed, the way he's typing it, you hear the narration and it's interspersed with Walker reading it and with um with with Frank speaking it to us and breaking the fourth wall, and that gives it the weight of he's being maybe he's being honest about his father.
3: It felt genuine. It
2: felt so candid and genuine, yeah. and so real, and such a good window into like like his history, a vulnerable side of him that he does not let anyone into. And uh, the fact that he used it to usurp the presidency um, <laughs> yeah. is just is just even more. It puts a bow on on his his character as just an entire character, um, but I just I just love the way that that scene just unfolded and, mm-hmm. and just the way it was filmed. But
1: isn't it interesting that the, really the only reason Walker falls is because of his relationship with Tusk? Because Tusk was the reason for the for the Chinese relationship, which Frank had to handle in the first place because mm-hmm. of the joint venture. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I almost felt like the entire time, like Frank was. Even though, yes, he was seeking the presidency (laughs) and manipulating him the entire time. Frank never wanted to engage the Chinese and had billions of dollars invested in this joint venture. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, he used that as leverage against Tess to try to break the relationship and the pull he had on the president. But Frank wasn't necessarily the downfall
3: of President Walker. It's true. I didn't even think of that till now.
2: Uh, he, I mean obviously it's not to say that he didn't have a hand in it. He orchestrated he, the situation. He, just, he took advantage of it. He did. Yeah, yeah, like it, I said,
1: it was not him, you know. It granted yeah. it probably would have been something else. Right? <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know.
3: It could have it could have happened without Frank. Yeah.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. exactly. He, right. But he gave Walker the shove off the cliff. Uh, the whole um, marriage counseling thing. That was yeah. That was so brilliant. Yeah. Uh, the he way both the, the, the public
1: and the actual legal downfall. Yeah, and he got right. both. It was
2: I loved it cuz I was kind of I, I didn't really think that much about it as it was unfolding because I was thinking like okay well they're 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 be- getting close with the with the president and first lady and they're they're doing their thing and then like they they make the reference to Christina and and Walker and kind of think like okay well there's going to be like an illicit affair that's going to come to light and they're going to expose that and so when there's a scene where they, they give up their travel logs, it didn't even register with me that they're going to find the, the marriage counselor on it. I thought it was going to be like he was taking trips to see Christina or something like that, which I'm so glad that that's not the way that it went. Cause that would have been such a hokey, mm-hmm. such a
1: cliche, such
2: a cliche, hokey, easy thing to do. But just the marriage counseling, it's such, it's such a diabolical thing for, for Underwood to do. And it's so, it's so great. To see how he, how the wheels of, of his, uh, of his of his deceit turn, I guess. Yeah, definitely. H- H- do you think he pardons Walker?
3: Oh huh. man! Or do you think he buries him forever? <laughs> He'd have to <laughs> pardon him if he still yeah. wants to maintain any kind of political capital with or his, with his party.
1: Does that give him political capital
3: if the uh, public want it? That's true. It'd be right? the
1: Nixon they never got. <laughs> <laughs> right.
3: Oh man, that's a good oh, question. Wow. Huh. Would he go back on his word? On I mean, this clearly. is why you're here, Greg. Because you, yeah. have, you have this insight <laughs> that Matt and I don't think about. Yeah. Uh, I'm thinking
2: good, about him going for world domination. I'm not thinking about him partying.
3: <laughs> party, We're party, not
1: being party. practical at all. <laughs> Will he become Hitler and grow a mustache? House <laughs> yeah. of Cards uh. season three.
3: Yeah, the German years.
4: Right. <laughs> oh God.
3: But uh, speaking of that, one of the things that's so Interesting about this show, and I'm I'm curious about Greg's opinion on it because uh, I listen to your podcast. We are Libertarians. If you haven't listened to it, it's awesome. Check it out. Um, Unless you hate politics, and then it's literally the worst podcast imaginable. <laughs> true, <laughs> true. Um, but what I love about your podcast is that you guys always talk about. You bring up philosophy in like every single episode, um, which is it's great because I'm still building my my political philosophy as a person so um, but what's interesting about this show that's in, entirely about politics is we have zero absolutely zero grasp on Frank Underwood's political philosophy he we, the only thing we know is that he's a Democrat but I feel like the only reason he is a Democrat is because he has to be either a Democ- democrat or a Republican, and it's and he- a Democrat
1: district, <laughs> right? That's
3: that's the only reason why he's a Democrat, and like we don't know, like we never hear, like oh, what's his what's his opinion on abortion? What's what's his opinion on education and 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 all that stuff, you know, the typical stuff that you would you would assume or that you would get in like a debate or a typical election that all of the politicians would have to talk about in order, in order to get elected. We know none of that stuff from Frank Underwood. And it's just – it's so uncharacteristic for a political show. Right. I'm curious, does it like bother you that, that none of that stuff is in there? Um, no. I actually, I really enjoy it
1: really? because – and it's it shows me – I think it would be um, it wouldn't be a good show if Frank had a political philosophy. Okay. Because Frank can't be hindered by anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's true, if there yeah. is a single thing that can constrain Frank, yeah. that is his downfall. He has got to be unattached to anything and everything so right. he can do whatever's necessary. And so like wow. I don't really miss it within those confines, you know. Right. And it's not like the West Wing where it was almost a platform for promoting
3: someone's view of the world. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's
1: not what this is about. This is like power brokering one oh one for the average American.
3: <laughs> that's true. I yeah. didn't think yeah, I didn't think about that either. Like it's so you can just appreciate it as just a fun dramatic show. You don't oh, right. you don't need the poly, the the philosophy in there.
1: See, I feel like there should be more of those guys. I know that sounds horrible. <laughs> <laughs> there shouldn't be more we're uh, politicians that push journalists onto uh, onto subway. Right, subway right. Train. Yeah. Well, I don't want to say that because <laughs> I don't like all pol- uh, journalists either. Like, they're yeah. they're just as bad. <laughs> um, but they are what, and this is why I'm not. Uh, if you are into politics at all, a lot of times people say that lobbyists are the you know oil for the gears of democracy. They're right. what get <laughs> things done, and that's what Frank is. Frank moves. Essentially, the United States, yeah, he is the the grease for the engine of government, yeah, <laughs> and it 's because he doesn 't care he doesn 't mm-hmm. have any political philosophy, you know if it 's unpopular it 's popular if it 's not it 's not, mm-hmm. and he 's always got a nice little southern anecdote that makes it palatable for everybody <laughs> you know I love when he 's being grilled by this you know. Uh, district Attorney, about, you know, where were you or, or what did you guys talk about, you know, during this lunch? And he's like, well, see, I was raised Southern and we were taught that conversation aids the digestive process.
2: <laughs> <laughs> like, are you, like, it was such a, I wanted him to just put his thumb up like Clinton
1: yeah. and look at him, you know?
2: The way that he wove. All of those lies and those scenes with the prosecutor was just—it was a thing of absolute beauty. It was yeah. masterful. Was it was not? so. It was like watching a master, a, a, a master artist construct his masterpiece. Um, yeah. Which is in kind of the way I kind of view the series is that this guy is—it's a it kind of a part of it for me is a character study of this diabolical. I've used that word so many times. That's um, the only
1: word that's really fitting. It up. is. Man, it, it has days. the because he's not way. sinister.
2: No. There's nothing
1: sinister to me about Frank unless he needs to be sinister.
2: Tell that to um, Zoe Barnes and... Uh, she tripped. Rosa. You saw she the Rosa. video. Oh,
1: yeah. She tripped. She tripped. She's asking for it. She
2: tripped backwards <laughs> to the left and did a flip in midair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> While screaming, Frank Underwood is killing me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Oh. No, but it's just a, it's a really fascinating character study of this of this of this uh, despicable person who is doing anything he can to get to power, and I can't wait to see what is coming up for the next for the foreseeable future because he's there's no other way to go but down. Yeah. Um,
3: oh, for sure. I mean, well, I wonder if they're going to throw a reelection in there. I, I like think, you said, he might get primary.
1: I, yeah, I feel like a primary has to come because. Yeah regardless that like the the opposition party is going to be able to torch him yeah. on anything he wants to champion cause or promote they're going to be like well you weren't even elected what capital do you have yeah. <laughs> you know like i'd just sit there and troll him all day if i was that yeah. uh, tea party guy which how great was the scene when frank was and i'm going to miss this him being the uh, head of the senate pro tempore Senate president, yes. that scene where he goes, well, who are your best actors? And then they has the bailiff carry in the <laughs> yes. eight Republicans. Oh, yeah. That, that was, epic. was incredible political theater. Oh, it was. And was they blame sad. it all on the Tea Party, which a lot of me was satisfied by that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, that's great. Just so many epic scenes this season. Oh, like, yeah. It oh, was yeah. every bit. It actually surpassed last season for me. Oh, me too.
2: Yeah, me too. Me too, especially with Claire's storyline, mm-hmm. uh, like like uh, Tiny was saying. Yeah, um, it was just it's just fin- fantastic. There was a great, <laughs> such a stupid. Uh, I don't know if it was April Fool's or or, or not, but uh, Bo Williman, the the showrunner, he posted a screenshot of um the first the first scene of season three. And he, it, was, it was so stupid. It was like it was, it was satire, obviously, or it was a joke, but it was like um, aliens invade and, and he's doing the, the speech from Independence Day. Yeah. It's so funny. I'll link it in the show notes, but <laughs> yeah, it's really funny. funny. Um, Where does Claire go?
3: Oh, I don't know. Because
1: she backed off the uh, civil um, jurisdiction of rape within the military, which was another great storyline. It yeah. was. With yeah. the general. That was really fantastic.
3: Yeah. Man, it was a packed season. It, it wasn't really it? was. It wasn't bloated. I mean, it was just packed. And we yeah, haven't even yeah.
2: talked about the hacker. Hardback. No, we haven't, which I yeah. have some things to say about that. But um, to about the, the uh, rape thing, I love that it kind of um, – there was like one scene where we don't really get that much of a resolution from it, except for like the or at least in terms of the general, um except for like one little sound bite that's in the background of a thing where it's like, Yeah, hey, he sentenced to like forty years in prison and I'm like, Oh, whoa, okay. Um but the whole dynamic in the last episode between uh uh Claire and Megan, the the um the girl former uh, first lady. No, no, no. no. Um well, her too. There It was when she went to go visit the girl. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. In yeah. Nebraska
1: or wherever she was from. Yeah,
2: somewhere. But uh, after she had um, threatened to commit suicide. And this is where I was getting at with talking about how Claire – maybe Claire doesn't have the emotional capacity to really go as far as Frank has gone. And maybe that could spell the downfall for, for Frank even because there's a scene after she speaks to Megan where Megan um, tells her point, bl- point blank like, you used me and – And, uh, basically in no uncertain terms, blaming her for what, for what she did to herself, threatened, or trying to commit suicide. And then when she goes out to, she sits on the stairs and then she's, she calls the first lady and she's kind of bridging the, um, kind of just making amends with the first lady. And the first lady says something like, you're a really good person, Claire. And that's when like Claire just breaks down. And, uh, I kind of wonder if maybe her whole the whole underlying reason for her arc this season was maybe it was to illustrate that she doesn't have the, she doesn't have the ruthlessness that her husband does. And maybe that could come back to bite him in some way. I mean, I don't think she's going to like turn on him or anything or anything like that, but maybe there will be something that she's not willing to do that's beneficial to them that, and, and that eventually causes their downfall. Um,
3: I could see that happening. Yeah.
2: yeah. And, uh, plus the whole thing with the kids, uh, she can't have, or she, too old to have kids or stuff like that. It's just yeah. it's it was just a really illuminating season for that character. It gave another um view of that character. She's not just she she's not like uh Frank Underwood, the woman version <laughs> of it. Uh, See,
1: I think she is. I think she's even more diabolical, personally. Really? Hmm. I find her to be I find her to be an underestimated and constant tease like that i mean telling that woman she was willing to let the baby wither inside of her yeah. was yeah. so dark and incredible and then the entire time she's just like frank fix it <laughs> i don't care fix it you yeah. know i i mean they are to me they're they're equals and not having the kid i don't know i mean Maybe she never – maybe we'll find out as a huge twist that Frank never, Frank wanted kids and she didn't. Hmm. Maybe she kept abort – maybe the storyline developed she kept aborting it every time Frank got her pregnant.
2: But that's oh, the thing wow. also going back to my my uh, somewhat obsessive thought that maybe Frank is gay and this is just a, a political marriage and everything. We don't know that the abortions were, were his seed in her. Right. Um. Yeah, I would
1: be – I would suspect they probably aren't, wouldn't Probably. You?
2: Yeah. yeah. Um. But with with her being more diabolical than Frank or more whatever, um, I not I think that there's a very big uh, gap between uh, telling a pregnant woman that you want you will watch her her baby wither and die inside of her. Is there's a bit of a gap between that and pushing a <laughs> pushing a woman onto uh, train tracks and watching her die and then walking away. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I mean, maybe Claire could be just just as um, um, diabolical. Again, drinking. Game. Anytime you hear the word diabolical in this episode, take a drink, Greg. There you go. Diabolical, diabolical, diabolical. Um, <laughs> he's drinking Heineken right now. But anyway, sponsor us, please. So. Um, But it it could be a way to show that she could be as diabolical or even more diabolical, and we haven't seen her yet um, be that way. But from what I can tell, this ep- this season. Do you think was- she's sinister or
1: diabolical? <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, but I think this season is was about showing her emotional, the emotional side of her of her character. Which is something we haven't seen of Frank, except for like one or two scenes, mm-hmm. um, but this was an entire season about that for for her. I think. Yeah. yeah.
1: I agree. I I just I feel like there's so much to develop with her.
2: Yeah, I think so too, and I, I kind of, I don't know. I mean, there's so much to say even about Netflix in general, but we <laughs> can save that for another, another episode at some point. But, yeah. Um, I do
1: have to throw in though. The hacker barking was yes. another epic scene. Yeah, let's
2: talk about the hacker. I almost forgot about him. Gavin, played by Jimmy Simpson, one of the um, McPoyles from It's Always Sunny. Yeah. I he was fantastic.
4: Yeah, I
2: was a big fan of his of him this season. Um, I just I I loved it, and I'm so glad to see that. I'm hoping that he will be back next season, mm-hmm. um, in a very uh, strong role, I believe. But yeah just uh everything about his character was great I-, I thought that it was uh it was really cool to see him slowly come to the point where he is going to be like in, a, in opposition to to Frank um, and uh, he has the information, and no one knows that he has the information except for Doug and Doug. You know,
4: yeah, <laughs> a little
2: dead, a little dead. <laughs> um, so he has that. Is he going to go after Rachel, and they're gonna they're gonna work together, or is he just going to outright expose it? Because my whole thing about him is that he's been sc- scorned so much by the by the government, and he's been their lap dog and everything. That he is now a loose cannon. There's, I mean, mm-hmm. there's no telling what he can do. He's different from Lucas or, or any of the journalists in the show because he doesn't work under those ethical guidelines. But
1: for me, what I see is like the connection is Rachel to, well, Rachel knows Russo. So he'll know, um, Oh God, I always forget her name. Uh, Jennifer, Kristen Connolly, Christina, uh, Christina. Mm-hmm. So she knows Christina. She, tra- she goes to Pete's existing family or hometown is able to track down Christina. Christina knows Lucas cause Lucas approached her. Lucas knows the hacker. Oh, yeah. Is that the ring and the connection that brings them down? And I, I, But I don't know. I, I would doubt those four people would be enough to bring down the president of the United States. Yeah. yeah.
2: I would I would almost say I'm hesitant to see them, as a viewer, to see them kind of team up like that. Because it can, it's kind of almost seems like, okay, there's another group of people working together to take down Frank. That's happened before. And, I mean, you know. Plus, if really you think out. about
3: it, do they have any, like, physical proof? It's all it's all he said, she said. It's all just hearsay. I mean, what physical proof? Uh, Rachel has Stamper's car, but you could just run that into a lake or something. Right. I mean, it's like, what physical proof do they have? That's what's... Phone that's records? what's missing. There yeah. any,
2: are there
1: any phone records or anything? like? There are. There's Zoe Barn and Frank phone records, if they can put the number
3: of Frank to anyone else.
1: Mm-hmm. But I don't know if that would even do it. Yeah.
3: Right. That doesn't prove the murder or anything. No, you know, It just uh-uh. proves the relationship. Hmm. Yeah, so yeah, it's it's tough. It is. Yeah, yeah, it's it's.
1: it's and I I want to see what happens with Tusk because Tusk deciding to talk is a big deal. Yeah, yeah, that. Is a huge, huge deal. That was so, that was a cool scene. And too. then Remy, right now being out on an island alone mm-hmm. for sale, nowhere to land.
2: That scene between <laughs> Remy, Remy, Seth, and Tusk. When when Seth goes to, oh. I I loved. There was an exchange between Remy and Seth that's like, um, I think Seth is I think Seth is orchestrating Remy's like falling out with with Tusk, and he's like, uh, Tusk asks Seth to leave, and Seth just looks at looks at Remy and says, like, in just this cool, calm, collect way, he's like, do you want me to hold the elevator for you? Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then all Remy says is, go f*** yourself. And then he's like, I'll take the stairs, or I guess you'll take the stairs, or something oh. like that. It's such an awesome What exchange. a troll. I love what so a much. troll.
1: I You know, though, that is one character, like, with Seth, is the one that was working for Claire before Seth. I can't he remember. He was such name. like a Captain America, like, yeah.
2: like He was I, a Boy Scout. And I was like, who yeah.
1: is this? Why is he on this show? <laughs> i off
2: of here. I I liked him.
3: He was fodder. He was yeah. his fodder.
2: He was I, I thought I liked him in, in the first few episodes that he was in. I thought that he was a good I mean, he was good at his job, but he was also very good at his job. He wasn't doing their work for them. He was very practical in mm-hmm. his um in his work and everything. And I could, I liked seeing kind of Seth just kind of swoop in and grab it. Yeah. Um, And just the, and that was another, uh, I I forgot to mention this when I was talking about Megan and Claire, but there was this kind of theme throughout the whole sea, the whole season where so many people are just calling out the Underwoods on like in of the face, like you've been manipulating me and I don't like it. And it's (laughs) just been a running theme throughout the entire season. And Mm -hmm. I kind of wonder what that's supposed to signify or if anything or um or what uh what do you guys make of that because i mean there was like uh i think uh, did jackie ever say anything to frank like that or anything i don't know but i know that there was there was um um i'm walker talking to talking to um frank claire talking to um megan it was just – maybe those are the only two instances, but there was like points where they, they can tell. They know that they're being manipulated, and they're calling them out on it to their face. So what do you guys make of that? If anything. Just <laughs> it's
1: just an interesting um,
2: thread throughout the season.
1: I felt like they they took every shot they could. Mm-hmm. I mean, other than the, the one that would just devastate them and wreck the show and be their downfall, they stood up to about everything. The, the infidelity on Claire's part with the pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, Frank – Frank essentially almost going to jail for life, (laughs) you know. um, The president being catching on to things like they took every single shot, and so I I liked it, but it almost was like the creation of like Teflon, like you know, nothing sticks to Frank Underwood.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right, right. So, so yeah. Is there anything else to really discuss? Because I know we're kind of running a little. We're running a little late. Uh, Um, I think we. I think we.
3: Like, there's not. We talked a lot. <laughs> yeah, we did.
2: We covered a lot. There's just like
3: endless possibilities with I, the show. It's yeah. It's so it's, deep.
2: It really is. It's and So it's, layered. I mean. Absolutely, and it's something that I mean. There's so much stuff that that there is to talk about about it, and like I said, if you want more, check out ObsessiveViewer.com for my reviews. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just it's just a really incredible show. Uh, like Greg, you said that the second season surpassed the first season for you. Uh, Tiny, did you feel the same way?
3: Absolutely. No. Uh, like I said, I think everybody just blossomed. Like it was yeah. almost like the first season was set up.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah, yep.
1: I feel, I feel like every episode would be Academy Award nominated if it were a movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
3: and, yeah, literally.
1: And it, that's uh, that's pretty amazing. The quality of a TV show, yeah. like
2: you would never Absolutely. get that from anything else. Yeah, right. And it's it's such a shame that it's in because uh, it it'll be it can be nominated this season. Uh, for for Emmys for Emmy consideration, I don't think it'll win because we have the final season of Breaking Bad is going to be nominated. Uh, True Detective is going to be nominated. Matthew McConaughey and Brian Cranston are are both shoe ins for it. That's going to be the big thing, and Kevin Spacey is going to be kind of the the runner up to whoever wins that, or yeah. the two of them. And that's a, that's a shame because he does just career work here. Oh. Um, hmm.
3: Yeah. It's just—it's amazing. <laughs> so much good television right now. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's
2: a state
1: of the times. <laughs> Alexandra Daddario should win everything, every single, every single one. Uh, yes.
2: I just saw her in an old episode of uh, like, like two seasons ago of uh, It's Always Sunny, and I was like, "That's so awesome." Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did you see that on Mister Skin? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh man. Uh, God. <laughs> That's hilarious. I just can't wait for the True Detective Blu-ray for some reasons <laughs> like,
1: uh, no. <laughs> uh, did you see her reaction though to the president saying that's his favorite thing on tv right now on oh. oh so the president did an interview and they were like you know what are you watching right now like oh true detective is what i'm really into mm-hmm. she immediately tweets out the president's seen my boobs <laughs> <laughs> and i was like oh my god
3: <laughs> i want to propose so right great. now Oh, marry me
2: that's so awesome <laughs> uh <laughs> So, yeah, so I think that that about wraps it up, I think, because i got to get ready for work here pretty soon.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Well, thanks so much for letting me uh, be back on. Thanks for coming on. We'll see you in another
2: year. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
3: (laughs) Yeah. You guys think you want to plug or? Yeah.
2: Um... (laughs) Yeah.
3: <laughs> no, <laughs> not for your audience. No, no. I Check mean, the
2: show notes for his home address. <laughs> you
1: know, yeah, no. Uh, if you li- if you like politics and you found this discussion interesting, please listen to our podcast. We are Libertarians. We are a uh, a podcast that tries to cover lo- news uh, events from a libertarian perspective. If you don't know what that is, think of let's see. The best way to say it is that you can keep your money. We won't be in your vagina. That's the easy. I guess that's what a libertarian is, and we won't like export freedom to all the other countries. There you go. All right. I like it. (laughs) So your vagina is yours, your money's yours, and you don't have to go kill people. (laughs)
2: Nice. (laughs) Wow. Very succinct. But no, thanks for having me on. I had a blast, as always. Thanks for letting us use this space to record. Yeah, it's fun. Beautiful Irvington.
1: If we ever Mm -hmm. do a trivia thing, when. Can one of the questions be who was the first host of the obsessive viewer? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: the Technically Matt was, so, but I was a co-host. Yeah, you were yeah. you were the the shepherd to our to our <laughs> You spoke our the very first words it. of you the did. Podcast. do you remember what those first words are? Uh uh-uh. uh They're ingrained in my head. No, like, what were I, they? Because I was to to put in this in perspective, I don't like sit there and just listen to oh, Greek speaking. Um I'm just it's so I was I was proud of the episode, so I listened to it when we first did it so many times and everything. It's like uh, I'll do my best impression. Hang on. It'll this will be so lame and stupid, but okay. Um <laughs> welcome to the first ever obsessive viewer podcast. That that was the first words on there. You know oh, nice. what?
1: I remember it too because I didn't know what the hell I was doing with the recording equipment, so that <laughs> welcome was like you know, it shattered eardrums. It did. It did. <laughs> exactly. it did.
2: Welcome, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> it was
3: loud. Uh, uh, <laughs> Good times.
2: Yeah. Uh, do you want to plug any Twitter or any social uh, network stuff? N- uh, it, give us a like radar. on
1: We Are Libertarians. <laughs> I'm at GT Lens on Twitter. If you uh, and if you are going to be at PopCon, which yes. obsessive viewer will be at PopCon, Indie yes. PopCon. I will be trolling Matt all day, so (laughs) it'll be great fun. Tiny and I love nothing more than making Matt feel uncomfortable, which is incredibly difficult to do. It is.
2: is, It is. Uh, And uh, also about Indie PopCon, we're going to have recording equipment set up on the booth, at the booth. So if you're in the the Indianapolis area and you're going to be there and you want to be on a podcast, uh, yeah, give us your best uh, Greg Lynn's impression. (laughs) Welcome! (laughs) Welcome! To Indie PopCon! (laughs) Yeah. yeah, so uh, I'll just I'll just count us out, I guess. Right. Any, any other any other new business? No, thanks no. again, guys. All right, yep, thanks. Uh, as always, thank you for listening to the Obsessive Viewer podcast. Thank you to Mike for that awesome intro that hasn't been recorded yet, but I'm sure is going to knock it out of the park. Um, <laughs> <laughs> make sure to rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, that helps us out a ton. Uh, it takes like two seconds, and uh, I really like reading it. Um, even if you don't like us, just go nuts. Um, And also vote for us for Podcast of the Month on podcastland.com. It's a really cool website that kind of aggregates all these different uh, podcasts, indie podcasts and stuff like that. Yeah, and please like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash theobsessiveviewer. Uh, We're posting a lot of cool articles and stuff like that on there that doesn't really fit into the blog. Um, So check us out there and follow each of us on Twitter. Um, You can find me, Matt, at Obsessive Viewer. Uh, Tiny is at Obsessive Tiny and uh, Mike is at at, I am Mike White. And as uh, referenced earlier, Greg's, uh, our guest Greg, his uh, Twitter handle is at GTLens. Uh, You can also check out the blog at ObsessiveViewer.com. Uh, by the time this airs, I will have finished reviewing all the, posting all my reviews of House of Cards. So if you want supplement to this episode, check out those reviews and also check out other reviews for Bates Motel, um, Under the Dome. Uh, general reviews and stuff of movies and everything like that and industry commentary and uh, finally if you have any thoughts on the podcast or suggestions for future topics or audio clips you want us to include of your own reviews of movies or conversation points you can email that to us at ovpodcast at gmail.com right. well I think that about does it
3: I love it Ah, nice, that's what he does on the show right, right
2: (laughs)
1: <laughs> uh, you didn't think I forgot about you, <laughs> Okay. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thanks, Matt. F-
2: you. <laughs> uh, good times. I kind of, I kind of wish we would have gotten you to do like intros for every single one. It's like, welcome to the 52nd ever <laughs> obsessive viewer podcast.
4: And in
1: case you are <laughs> wondering, we are still virgins.
4: <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, oh, Craig.